Well, good morning, Central Heights. How are we doing this morning? Good. I'm really glad that uh, we had this time together this morning because I think if we're honest, a lot of us would be here this morning and we would say we're hurting, we're, we're, we're worried about what the future holds, we feel the darkness, the weight of what is going on in our city um, and around the world. And, and I, I, I honestly believe that God has put a message on my heart that I hope will speak into whatever it is that you're experiencing this morning. And so if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab it? We're going to be in John chapter 14, verses 15 to 27 this morning. I'm excited to open up God's Word with you, with you this morning and continue our series looking at the Holy Spirit and the Gospel of John. As you're turning there, I want to share a story about a family dinner that my, my family had a, a few years ago. Uh, I have two great parents, two awesome brothers, and my Aunt Maria, uh, when she was alive, she was there, and we decided for, to go have a celebration dinner one night. And so we went to our favorite restaurant, and we, we sat down, we ordered our food, and as we were waiting to order our food, one of the things that we decided to do, for whatever reason, is we wanted to look up the meaning behind our names. You know how everyone's name has a, has a meaning behind it? And for some reason, we decided, hey, we want to look at what does all of our names mean? And so my dad jumped on his iPhone, and he found a website, and we started looking up all the different names uh, of the people at the table. And, it, and we had some really great names, like amazing names, strong names, powerful biblical names. Like my Aunt Maria, her name meant of the sea or rebellious. That fit my Aunt Maria perfectly. One translation of her name meant rebellious woman. And that, was, that fit my Aunt Maria when she was alive perfectly. My mom, Anne, her name was Gracious. And that just fits her so beautifully. My brothers, Peter and Michael. Peter, his name means rock. And that's a strong name. Like, that's a beautiful meaning behind your name. Michael means who is like God. That's a beautiful name. And my name, David, means beloved. And so as we went around the table, we had all these great names, all these great uh, means behind it, and we were riding high as a family. We were high-fiving. There was excitement. We were all really excited. Like, man, we have some beautiful meanings behind our names. Like, our names have power. They have meaning. It's just amazing. And there was this sense of excitement. How is this going to end? Because it came to my dad, and we were all excited, and we were looking for it. This is going to end beautifully. My dad is going to tell us his name, and it's going to just top this as me icing on the cake, cherry on top. And so we looked at my dad and we said, Dad, what does your name mean? And now my, name, my dad's name is Claudio. He's Italian. He was born in Italy. Yeah, Italian, that's right. And he, 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 he looks at his phone and we're all just waiting with this sense of anticipation. We're all excited for, for what his name is going to mean. And, and we're watching him and his head droops. And it looks like the wind's being knocked out of him. And we're like, Dad, what's, what's your name mean? And he looks at us with this, this sadness in his face and he says, Guys, my name means lame and crippled. Man, we felt, we all laughed, we lost it, but we all felt so bad for him. And that's not what you want your name to mean, right? I mean, I would choose almost anything over lame and crippled, right? Like, that's not, hey guys, my name means lame and crippled. I mean, that's not something that's awesome. Now, it's one thing to have your name mean lame and crippled, but it's a whole other thing to feel lame and crippled by the stuff that's going on in your life, isn't it? It's a totally different ballgame when we feel like there's something in our life that is just crippling us, something that's affecting me to such a degree that I feel crippled emotionally, physically, or relationally. Have you ever felt like that in your life? There's just something in my life that's crippling me, something in my life that's weighing me down, something in my life that's causing hardship and pain and suffering and questions. Maybe you especially feel it today. 
with what's going on in our city, what's happening today. I think a lot of us are hurting. We feel the weight of what's going on. Uh, we have a lot of questions. We're worried about the future and what it holds. I think that's where a lot of us find ourselves today. We just feel crippled by what's going on in life, and we don't really know what to do. And I just want to say, if that's you here today, you are not alone. I think if you can look around, we're all in this together. I get it. I feel it, too. And I want you to know there's hope in all of this. Even though it seems dark, even though it seems difficult right now, there is hope in the midst of all that's going on. And here's the hope, is that no matter what you're facing today, I believe Jesus wants to meet you in that, and he wants to provide you everything you need to not just face what you're feeling today, but actually overcome it. I believe that with all my heart. And how do I know that? It's because this is what Jesus is doing in our passage this morning. Because unlike the disciples, or just like the disciples, we're hurting too. The disciples in this passage, they're hurting. They're worried about what the future holds because Jesus has told them he's leaving, that the, the cross is coming, that he is, is headed to fulfill his mission, that the cross is coming, that he's going to suffer and die. He's going to be buried. He's going to rise again. He's going to return to the Father. They hear that, and a wave of grief and anxiety and fear hits them because Jesus is leaving. What are we going to do now? What is our life going to look like with Jesus when he's not with us? They've never anticipated a future where Jesus is not with them. It was never on the radar. And if you think about it, for the past three years, the disciples have done everything with Jesus. They've lived with him. They've ate with him. They've laughed and cried with him. They've seen miracles happen with him. He's comforted them when they were hurting. He's strengthened them when they needed strength. He's done everything with them and for them. And now he says he's going. What are we going to do in this new situation? What are we going to do? And so they're looking into the future, and they're looking into a future without Jesus, and the fear of what that looks like has gripped them. And so in other words, the disciples are hurting and crippled by fear in our text today. And in that place, Jesus is going to meet them and promises him that he'll be there for them, just not in the way that they imagined. And so that's, the, that's where we find ourselves as we pick this up in verse 15. Let me read the text. This is Jesus speaking in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so when confronted with the disciples' fear and anxiety and uncertainty, Jesus chooses to speak about what he will do for them. 
Which is why it's interesting that in in verse 15, Jesus starts like this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, that's kind of a strange start. Jesus chooses in this text to enter into his disciples' experience, and he says, this is what I'm going to do for you, but he doesn't start there. Here he starts with, I'm leaving, you're afraid, now go and do this. And that's kind of a weird way to start his kind of comforting of the disciples, right? So what's Jesus up to? Well, he's setting up how their relationship will work once he's no longer with him. He's kind of setting the stage and saying, hey, this is what life is going to look like once I'm gone, and, and, and draw comfort from that. And so he starts by setting up what the disciples must do. And at the heart of this life that is going to happen when Jesus leaves is love and obedience. Love and obedience. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments or you will keep my commandments. And that word keep in the original language means to obey, to conform your life to something or someone. And so Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. You will obey all my teaching. If you love me, you will conform your whole life, not just parts of it, but your whole life to me and what I say is right, good, true, and best. This is what Jesus is saying. It's so important. He says it twice more. In verses 21 and 23, he says, whoever has or possesses or knows my teaching and obeys it, that person loves me. If you love me, you will obey my word. You will do what I've said and what I've taught. And so right out of the gate, here's what Jesus is doing. He's describing a way of life. He's describing a way of life, a life that he wants to see his followers, the disciples and us, have once he's gone. He describes a life that's committed to following him no matter where he leads. He describes a person who has set their agenda, their plans, their wants, their dreams, their desires aside to take on Jesus' plans for their life, Jesus' dreams for their life, Jesus' agenda and hopes for their life. That's what he's talking about. He's a life where we push all our chips in on Jesus and say, I'm going all in with you, Jesus. I'm putting all my chips into the middle. I'm cashing in on you because I believe that you're worth it. That's what he's calling his disciples to. And if you're wondering what this life looks like, Jesus describes it in Mark uh, chapter 8, verse 34 and 35. Listen to how he describes this life that he's calling us into. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he, Jesus, said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And so this life of following Jesus is a life where you and I die to ourselves to live for him. And as we die to ourselves, and live for Jesus, Jesus says that's when we're going to find life. See, I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a a German pastor and, and theologian, and he says when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So the cost of following Jesus, everything. He wants all of us, not just parts of us. He wants every single part of your life. He wants your finances. He wants your relationships. He wants your job. He wants your heart. He wants your thoughts. He wants every single part of you. Jesus wants everything. The cost of following him is everything. And as we give more and more of ourselves over to him, Jesus says that's when we actually find life. But here's the key. We don't do this out of duty or obligation, but we do it out of love. It's no accident that love comes before obedience in verse 15. 
See, Jesus is after obedience, yes, but he wants obedience that flows out of a heart filled with the absolute adoration and love for him. He wants love for him to be the motivation for our obedience, the motivation for the way we live this life that he's calling us into. Love is meant to motivate everything we do for Jesus. Out of love for Jesus, we obey. And that just makes sense, right? Like when you fall deeply in love with someone, you start doing things you wouldn't normally do right? Like, for example, I do things for my wife, Catherine, I never thought I would do. So we were being married for four years, and uh, my wife loves to watch period pieces, like on Netflix, like especially Downton Abbey. You got some Downton Abbey fans in here? Yeah, okay, so at first I was not a Downton Abbey fan. I resisted for like three and a half years. I said, I'm not going to watch this show. I just felt like, we're going to watch a show about stuffy, rich British people? I mean, that doesn't sound very appealing, and so she would ask me nicely, and I would say no. And then she would ask me a few months later, and I'd say no. And as I grew to love my wife more and more, I kind of had this feeling, like, maybe I should like, actually watch this show with her. And so I said, okay, babe, I'll give, I'll give you one episode. <laughs> and uh, we watched the one episode, and man, I love that show. Now all of a sudden, guess what? I'm telling people, you got to watch Downton Abbey, man. <laughs> it's a great show. We watched the whole season. I'm going to watch it again someday. See, I obey, I, I, I submitted myself to another because I love my wife. I would do anything for my wife. See, love has the power to fuel obedience. When you love someone or something, it, you, will, you will chase after it. You will pursue it. And this is what Jesus is after. He's not saying, hey, try harder in your life. Do more good things. He's saying, love me more. Love me more. Live a life that loves Jesus more and more. See, what we need to do is have our life and our heart stirred up with affection and love for Jesus, to have it ignited as we gaze at his beauty, as we see how awesome and great he is, as we press deeper into who he is and what we've done, our love is ignited, our affections are stirred, and then as our love grows, we are more willing to obey him because we want to follow him, we want to please him, we want to do what we would normally never do, but because we love him, we're willing to do it. That's what Jesus is after, loving obedience. And so he calls the disciples in verse 15 and us to this loving obedience. But let's be honest. I don't know about you, but on my best days, this is not easy. This is hard. Anyone else? Am I the only one here that feels like this is really, really hard to do? So often I feel like my life is like the Apostle Paul when he's talking in Romans 7. This is, sums up my life so much. He says this, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil is close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So I love God's word. I love Jesus. I love God. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I feel like Paul so much of the time, don't you? Honestly, I feel like that sums up everything in my life sometimes. Who will save me? The very things I want to do, I don't do. 
because sin's working within me. I don't do what I want to do, and so no matter how hard I try, I just can't seem to do it. And so here's the reality. I am in desperate need of help day in and day out from outside of me to do what I've been called to do by Jesus. And the good news is that Jesus has promised to give us help. Back in our text in verse 16, look what Jesus says. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so right after Jesus talks about loving obedience, he talks about the helper. That's not an accident. He calls us to this high standard of radical, loving obedience where we lay everything down to love and follow Jesus and then right away he talks about the helper and he makes two promises. The first, the Father will give you another helper to be with you forever. And the second is the helper will be in you. So two promises that Jesus wants his disciples, his followers to hold tightly to after he's gone. And these promises are meant to bring hope and provide comfort to the disciples and to us. So let's look at them. The first, the first promise is the Father will give you another helper to be with you forever. And so who is this helper Jesus keeps talking about? Jesus talks about him again in verse 25. He says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, And so the helper is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the, of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. The helper is the eternal, holy, all-powerful Spirit of God, who God the Father will send to do two things. The first is to fulfill the role Jesus has been playing with the disciples, and secondly, to be with the disciples forever. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus says he will comfort and strengthen and teach the disciples just as Jesus has been doing physically for them for the last three years. He'll do for the disciples the exact same thing Jesus has been doing for them. And so Jesus comes along and says the helper is going to be a spiritual spotter. It's like when you go to the gym and you go to the gym and you want to get a good workout and you come to the part of the workout where you want to go to the bench press. And so you get ready by you putting 45s on, or maybe two 45s, and by 45s, I mean 25. You put those weights on, and you start to lift. And after a little bit of time, the weight starts to get really, really heavy. It starts to weigh down on you, and your arms start to shake, and you start to grunt, and your face starts to get red, and it becomes really, really hard. And the problem is, is that when you get to that place, you can't lift that weight, and you're in trouble. The weight's going to fall. It's going to crush you. It gets hard to lift the bar, and we just can't seem to lift that weight unless we have someone to come alongside us and spot us. And a spotter is someone who stands behind you and helps you lift the bar when it gets heavy. We need someone to come alongside us and help us. And so the best way to lift weights is to have a spotter, someone to help you. And it's the same with life, Jesus is saying. The best way to go through life is to have a helper to help you when the weight of life gets way too heavy. He says this, this, the Holy Spirit, the helper, is going to be your spotter in life, guys. Life is going to get heavy for you. You're going to be persecuted. The roads are going to be difficult. The mountains that you're going to have to be overcoming are too big for you. You need the spotter. You need the Holy Spirit. And he will strengthen you. He will comfort you. He'll give you power to do what you can't do for yourself. And guess what? He will be with you forever. 
And that word forever means eternal, without end. And so Jesus is saying, when the Spirit comes, there will never be a moment where you are ever alone. The Holy Spirit, who will come and live inside of you through faith in me and what I will do, you will never, ever, ever be alone. There will never be a moment in life where you face where you will be alone. Just let that sink in. We really need to hear this. No matter what life looks like, no matter what you're going through, or what is happening in you, or around you, or to you, you can always bank, bank on this. If you have put your trust in Jesus, God will be with you forever. You won't be without help. You'll never be alone because God will be with you by being in you. And that's the second promise that Jesus makes. He says, the helper will be in you. And see, up to this point, the Holy Spirit has been with the disciples, Jesus said. But soon, the Father's going to send his Holy Spirit to live in them. To not just be with them, but to be so close to them that they're actually going to live inside of them. That's what Jesus is saying here, and that's, that's miraculous. And this looks ahead to Pentecost in Acts 2, when the Spirit came in power and moved inside of his disciples, Jesus' disciples, to be their help or comfort or teacher and the one who would empower them to live on mission and to further the kingdom of God that Jesus brought with them. And I love how Jesus describes this in Acts 1.8. He says, I just love this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I love that word power. It means it's dynamis. It's where we get our, Greek, our, our word for dynamite. So I love what Jesus is saying. He's saying the spirit, when it comes inside of you, will be like a dynamite within you. It will be God's very power working in you and working through you so that you can be explosive for the glory of God and for the kingdom being further. That's what Jesus is saying is that you have God's very power, his explosive dynamite, raising Jesus from the dead power living inside of you. I mean, how awesome is that? Not only do we have a comforter, not only do we have someone to strengthen us, not only do we have a teacher, we have God's power, his dynamite power living in us to send us and to do what he has called us to do. I mean, that is amazing. So we see the disciples here. They're hurting. They're uncertain about the future. They're wrestling with fear. And look what Jesus promises. A day is coming when the helper is coming to help you. The Holy Spirit will come and live in you and be with you forever. And I don't know about you, but I... I needed to hold on to that really tightly this week, in the last couple of weeks. See, I'm, my greatest fear is that I'm going to be alone. That's my greatest fear. And it comes because 10 years ago, I was abandoned by a, a, someone that was very special to me. A significant relationship. And they came to me and they said, I'm, I'm leaving. I don't want you a part of my life anymore. And ever since that day, I've been afraid that I'm going to be alone. That I'm going to do something in my life or, or someone's going to, that's really important to me is going to leave me again and I'm going to end up going through life by myself. And I know it's not true in my head, but in my heart, I just can't get there sometimes. And so when I looked at this passage, it almost made me cry because God's like, no matter what happens, I'm going to be with you. You're never going to be alone. Everyone could leave, but I'm going to be there for you. And so I know that because of Jesus, I'll never have to go through life alone, and neither will you if you put your trust in him. 
and live for him because Jesus has promised if you love me and trust me and follow me, you'll never be alone and you'll never be without help. And that's a promise you can take to the bank because Jesus does not just promise it, he goes and delivers it. Look at verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans, so I won't leave you without someone to comfort you and support you and care for you. I will come to you Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. And so when Jesus says this, he's pointing to something that's going to happen just days away. Something that's going to change everything forever. He says, I will come to you. I will return. I, you will see me again. And then he says, because I live you also will live. And when he says that, he's talking about the resurrection. He's looking beyond his death to the cr- on the cross to the empty tomb. He's promising the disciples that death will not be the end of the story. Life is. That there is a victory coming. That there is something that is going to change everything so profoundly that all of history will be affected. Nothing will ever be the same. And unlike the disciples, we can look back and know what happened. And draw comfort from the reality that Jesus did go to the cross and die for us, that he did take all our sin, all our shame, all our guilt upon himself so that we could be forgiven and reconnected back into a relationship with God. No matter what our story is, no matter what we've done or had done to us, Jesus died on the cross and it stays there when we put our faith and trust in him. And we know that Jesus three days later rose from the dead, conquering sin and the grave for us, and our greatest enemy has been defeated, death, He did it all. We can look back and know that this has happened. And so Jesus kept his promise, and that's why you can trust him. He said, I'll go to the cross and die. I'll be buried. I'll rise again. And then he went and did it. He backed it up. And so Jesus made this promise, and because he did, he made a way for God to be with us by being in us. See, when you put your faith in Jesus, God comes and lives inside of you to be with us, to be with you forever. And this is the whole plan of God. Him doing what needed to be done so that he could be with us. Cover to cover in the Bible, this is what we see. In the garden, we see that God is in the garden with Adam and Eve. He's walking with them in the cool of the day. He's talking to them face to face that God's original intention was he would be with us. That he would not be far, but he'd be near, face to face, But the whole plan was derailed by Adam and Eve when they did the very thing God said don't do. And the result is that God and humans have been separated, but God would not let it be that way. He wouldn't. He wants to be with you so much that years down the road, hundreds of years down the road, thousands of years down the road, he would actually leave heaven and come and live in the person of Jesus Christ. John 1.14 says, the word made flesh, talking about Jesus. God became human and he dwelt among us. He was with us in his person, in the person of Jesus. And because Jesus came and did what he did, it set the course to the final act in God's plan, which is in Revelation. See, the end goal of the gospel is God will be with us forever and all will be made right. This is where we're headed. This is the, we've had victory in the cross and resurrection and we're walking to this victory. 
John writing his vision that he had of what God has in store for us, he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, with humans. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. We're walking victory to victory. Resurrection to God being with us and everything made right. All of history is headed towards that place, to what we have just read, with God being with us again in the way he originally intended. But until then, Jesus is promising to be with us through the helper living in us, which means if you put your trust in Jesus, you're never alone, you're never without help, and you're never without hope. And so wherever you're at today, I just want you to know, just stop and really hold tightly to these two things. Because Jesus has conquered the sin, sin and grave, the helper has come, and that means you are never alone and never without help because God is with you, and he is for you. Hold tight to that today. So wherever you are at, whatever you're experiencing, you're never alone and you are never without the help that you need because God is with you. Let's pray. God, I, we hear these words and sometimes they seem like just words, but in reality, these aren't just words, they're, they're truth, they're real and true for us here today. And so we thank you that um, you want to meet us right where we are today. I know that we carry a lot of different things in here, I know that we have a lot of different experiences of what's going on, a lot of stuff is rolling around in our minds and our hearts. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come into those places. Your scripture says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so would you come into those places of our lives that we need freedom, we need peace, we need comfort and strength. I thank you, Jesus, that you did everything through your life, death, and resurrection so that we could have a helper, a spotter in life. Thank you that because you conquered the sin and grave, Jesus, the helper has come, and that means we're never alone, we're never without help, and never without hope. So would we cling to those promises today? Would we trust in them and walk in them? May you help us walk through everything we're facing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.